Welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast with Meredith Atwood. We all have the same 24 hours each day, and it's what we do with those hours that makes all the difference between our health, happiness, and success. In this episode, we interview Danielle Grable, the first woman to complete the Epic Five Endurance event. Her new book, Fear No Distance, is a story of becoming comfortable being uncomfortable and will challenge you to dream big and let go of limitations. Enjoy the show. Hi, guys. I am sitting here with the amazing Danielle Grable. Welcome to the show, Danny. Thanks so much for having me. So this woman is epic in so many ways. <laughs> she is so awesome. Like we were talking before we started recording and she was kind of giving me her timeline of all the things she had done. And out of her mouth came the words, oh, 2014 was just the year I did a 24-hour bike ride. <laughs> As in, that was the year that I took it easy. Yep. Yes. So Danny is just so amazing. And she has a brand new book out called Fear No Distance, A Journey to Life Without Limits. And I just wanted to have her on the show because you guys are not going to believe just how incredible she is. So Danny. Where did you come from and what was your childhood like? <laughs> well, I had an interesting childhood. I was not really particularly that athletic. I um, enjoyed sports and I would try to play like recreation, softball and basketball and just did cheerleading and dance, but kind of gave it all up in high school. So I wasn't super athletic or particularly talented at anything um, sports wise and then got to college and started gaining weight, kind of my freshman 15 was more like a freshman 20. Yeah. Next thing you know, I'm 220 pounds and 22 years old. Okay. Yeah. So, so was, was of, it like all of the takeout food or was it the beer or was it was a combination. I had the worst eating habits. I mean, yeah. pizza and ranch dressing, Chinese <sighs> food. I mean, it was a lot of takeout, a lot of McDonald's, like dumping cream and school? sugar, Georgia state. Okay. Just lots of takeout, lots of, you know, crystals at one o'clock in the morning. Oh man. Just disgusting. Crystals, you guys. <laughs> is the crystals is just in the South, right? Yeah, it's White Castle. Oh, White Castle. Yeah. Okay, so like the little mini sliders. That was our drinking food too. Oh, like 2 a.m., yeah. everyone's Waffle sitting House. around. Waffle oh, House. Man. Yep. Southern girls and yeah. the Waffle House and the crystals. <laughs> it was bad. It so was, bad. was that um, when you woke up at 220 pounds, like when were you like, oh my God, and you had an awakening kind of thing? Or how did, I mean, obviously you're incredibly fit. And incredibly ripped and strong and amazing now. So what happened? Like, what what changed? Well, I went to the doctor for a physical um, because I was getting ready to have some eye surgery. And he just kind of looked at me and said, um, you know, you've been coming to see me the past few years. And this is the your weight. So he showed me on paper my weight. And um, he said, at the age that you're at, with the amount of weight you're gaining, you're 220 pounds. He said, you're going to be 300 pounds by the time you're 30. Um, he's like, you'll be 400 pounds by the time you're 40. I have a family history of diabetes. All four of my grandparents died of heart attacks. Um, my parents both have high cholesterol and high blood pressure. And he was mm-hmm. like, your family history is just not allowing you to continue with this lifestyle. You're, you're not going to make it. Wow. And so that was, you know, up until then it was more about aesthetics. Right. Like, you know, when my size 14 didn't fit and then I was in a size 16 and that was really hard at such a young age. And I was like, well, you know, I can't, I'm not a junior anymore. And, but then it was really more about like, I'm just not going to live. Yeah. And, um, I worked with older adults. I work in geriatrics. So that was a really 
kind of life awakening moment for me to realize that the population that I serve every day, I'm never going to make it to being one of those people. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, anytime I've talked to anyone or in my case, especially the major change came when the shift went from aesthetics, just mm-hmm. like you said, like when you stop worrying about what you look like and you're like, this is my health. Like yep. I am not doing so great yeah. <laughs> over here and you know, mentally or physically. And I think that's what it takes. Like if we start with health, right? Exactly. Weight. And so many of us spend our time like, Oh, I'm fat. My pants don't fit, but that's the least of our worries. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So when you had that awakening, like what was kind of the first step for you? Like, what did you do? that was the big change or like the, the smallest step like how did it start so of course I went home that night and I ordered pizza right. and wings <laughs> and beer and dipped my pizza and I literally ate until I was sick and it was mm-hmm. almost like a like I'm just gonna go do this one more time type right. thing like that like boyfriend that you just keep going back to and you're like this is the last time <laughs> like I just I just went and gorged until I was sick and then the next day, I just decided I was going to cut one bad thing out at a time. Like, first, I'm just going to cut out sodas, and then I'm going to cut sugar out um, because I my eating habits were so bad that there, I wouldn't have been able to do everything at once. So right. I had to cut one thing out at a time. So um, was it like every meal? Like, your breakfast was terrible, like, yes, all the time? Everything. I mean, trash. it was like McDonald's for breakfast. Like, every single meal was bad. Everything was bad. Nothing that I did was good. So were you healthy when you were doing softball younger and all of that? Or was there something that triggered like the destruction, I guess? You know, um, I'm, I'm definitely a larger person. I mean, I'm not a small person. I'm not, so I'm not, you know, my body will never be, I'm always going to lean towards being a larger person. And I think growing up, you know, my mom is very small. We were always having to eat certain kind of foods. Like we were always dieting. Mm -hmm. Like we as in the family was always dieting. So once I got to make my own food decisions and I got out on my own, all I wanted to do was just eat what was good. Because like I wasn't on the Atkins diet anymore. Like I wasn't on the cabbage soup diet. I could just do whatever (laughs) I wanted to do. Right. So I did. We are very similar in this like dieting story because it was the same way with me. Like, you know, they would hide the cookies from me and then I would go stuff them in my face. Yes. And when I got free, like my, my drug of choice was alcohol. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was also pizza and ranch. Yep. <laughs> with alcohol. Yeah. We just, but. um, yeah, I've always had an issue with, with overindulging. I mean, just uh-huh. big time issue with, with not being able to stop myself from eating certain things. So let's transition to overindulging and exercise. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you guys, Danny did a race in May of last year called the Epic Five. And for those of you who are triathletes, you probably know what this is. For those of you who are couch potatoes, like be prepared to be completely awed by this. So it's five iron distance races in five days on the five islands of Hawaii. And an iron distance race is a 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike, and a 26.2 mile marathon. So she did five of those, one a day for five days. In Hawaii. Yep. Okay. So that's a little epic. Like, <laughs> so for someone who goes from eating pizza and ranch, overindulging in food, that is quite an overindulgence in exercise. Like how did, how did this get, how did you get here? So I read about the race a few years ago in Rich Roll's book, Finding Ultra. And I distinctly remember thinking that sounds awful. Like the logistics <laughs> of having right. to catch a flight every day. And then, you know, after you've done an Ironman and break your bike down and put it back together like that just sounds awful well as I started to get into ultra racing um we went to Hawaii Jason um my boyfriend did a triple Ironman down there 
and we met Rebecca, who wasn't the race director then, but now owns Epic Five. So somebody put out a promotion that they were accepting applications, and I sent a message to a friend um, who's a good friend with Rebecca, and I said, you know, has a woman ever applied for Epic Five? She said, no. And I said, well, Rebecca owns it now, doesn't she? She said, yes. And I was like, you know, it just seems so crazy to me that a woman owns this race and a woman puts it on and it's mostly women um, that are on the race staff and no woman has ever participated in it. I was like, that's ridiculous. Like participated? No, like no woman had ever shown up to had the ever line, yeah. even had ever even applied. Okay. And I was like, so I need to do this. Right. <laughs> so then, of course, I go home and I tell Jason, he's like, you don't even like one Ironman. Why would you do five of them? <laughs> In five like, days. Because I have to, because I need to be the, I mean, I was like, it just takes one woman. Like, that's it. Just yeah. one person needs to do something. Like, you know, nobody ever thought you could, you could break a three hour marathon until somebody did it. Right. And then people do it all the time. That's just so, so mind boggling to me. Um, so you usually have like anywhere from 15 to 17 hours to complete an Ironman. So to me, I'm in the 15 to 17 hour range. Right. So if I was to take this on, I would have like six hours to sleep, get a flight, <laughs> Well, yes. not even not even that much. You wouldn't have that much. Yeah, I slept six and a half hours the entire time. See, I can five days. That's incredible. Yeah. Okay, so you decided to apply. Mm-hmm. Um, the, what's the, how many people apply to this? Like, <laughs> well, it is invitation people? only, and that's really you know not because they're trying to be elitist, but just because of the safety component mm-hmm. that they want to make sure there are people there that know what they're getting into and that have done ultras and that are going to be safe and that have experienced you know riding at night and overnight in those conditions. So, um, yeah, I applied and I don't, I, they turn down people cause it's incredible to think about this, but there's some people that apply that don't have, have no you know, business trying to right. do something like that. So, um, there were seven, done one 17 hour yeah, Ironman. <laughs> yeah. So there was, um, seven people that were supposed to start the race and out of those seven, four people actually came. Okay. And out of the four, three of us finished. Okay, so your qualifications leading up to this, you did Race Across America as the, was it the first two-person female team? We were the um, youngest two-person female team to ever finish and only the third um, female two-person team to finish in 2013. Okay, so this is a bike race across America. Right. Um, You're literally starting on the East Coast. You start on the Ocean Side. Oh, you start on the West Coast. Yep. Okay. And then you ride your bicycles across America. Yep, to Annapolis. In a race. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was two of you. Two. Yep. And it took you? Eight days, two hours, and 35 minutes. And you rode round the clock. Round the clock. Yeah. Yep. So when they looked at your application, they're like, <laughs> okay, well, she did this for eight days. Right. So one check. And then you also did a double Ironman in 2013. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's two, 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 <laughs> two, uh, two of the five Ironmans required for Epic Five, plus Race Across America. So you had... The credentials. Right. So right. how did you get to the first double Ironman? Because that was your first, like, big ultra event, right? Um, well, I did a ride across Florida. So I set a, a record from um, west to east, and I did a 422-mile um, bike ride across Florida. And I did that to celebrate the five-year anniversary of getting in a really bad accident and breaking my leg down there. Wow. So that was kind of my way of coming back and uh-huh. saying... Peace out, Florida. (laughs) This is it. This is it. Um, Well, the funny thing about the devil was that Jason, when he was training for um, Epic Man, the triple that he did in Hawaii, he was on the phone with a friend of his, Kelly, who was also racing, and she was trying to convince him that I should come do the race too. 
And I overheard him say, oh, there's no way that Danny would ever do an ultra triathlon. She hates running. She would never do an ultra triathlon. I was like, really? (laughs) Okay, well, I'm going to go do one. Right. So then I decided to do one. That's funny. You get a little bit of spunk in you. Yep. You have to, right? For sure. So, um, okay, let's talk about... Well, you did Ironman first, right? Oh yeah. Before I mean, my so. my introduction to the sport was was very very similar to everybody else's. I mean, mm-hmm. it started off with a sprint triathlon that had a pool swim. Right. I mean, it wasn't like I just the gateway drug. Yeah. The sprint yeah. triathlon. I started off with a sprint Olympic half. I mean, I I literally just yeah the exact same way that you hear other people start. It wasn't so like listen I just up, signed people. Up. Those yeah. of you signing up for your this first could be sprint. you. <laughs> this could be yeah. you. Okay. So, but when did you do your first triathlon? Um, so I did my first triathlon in 20, uh, 2006. Okay. Okay. So, um, let's talk about Epic Five. So day one, um, what island? Day one started off in the island of Kauai. Okay. And it was different than the other days because the first day of the race, we, you know, we obviously flew in, um, several days ahead. That was the first day that we would race and the need to catch a flight to the second island. All the other races, we would be flying in the morning and then doing the race. No kidding. Yeah. So you had to get off a plane and hop we in the We literally, water. yeah, it was it was really funny. The whole That's not concept funny. of that. <laughs> but, I mean, it's the idea of doing an Ironman and then having to run and catch a flight is pretty terrible, too. Oh, my gosh, Danny. I just yeah. can't. I can't fathom this. Like, <laughs> I mean, I know how bad I suffer in, um, just in a race. But to do this five days. I did love your Instagram leading up. To the race, though, because I've never seen – you usually see people doing Instagram, and they're like, look at my salmon and my kale and my healthy food. And you were like, gummy bears. And <laughs> I'm like, I've been to Chick-fil-A five times today. Yeah, I was eating about 5,000 calories a day. But how much were you training, like, leading up um, to that? My heaviest weeks were between 30 and 35 hours. Okay, so that was – like, how – like, 12,000-meter swims for the week? Um, and- yeah, I was swimming anywhere from 12 to – I would go through um, – Times where I would do like a five, a five, a seven and a half, a five and a five. So I was swimming long distances several days in a row. Mm-hmm. So anywhere from twelve to fifteen thousand a week. Okay, and then your cycling miles. How how many? A lot, a lot of riding. I would a imagine lot, like five hours a, a day. Lot. Um, <laughs> on the weekends, I did two really big back to back training camps. Um, one was in Brevard, and one was in the Gaps where I did like two days in a row of um, seven hour rides, and then like a two hour run off the bike. Wow, stuff like that. So and I would how, try to, What about your running miles? Like, because running is your nemesis, right? Absolutely. So, yeah. did you kind of cut corners on the run, or did you put in totally? Yeah, yeah. And I'm a strong cyclist, and because I'm better on the bike, and because I have the bike fitness, I don't have to put the miles into running. Um, so, yeah, I didn't do a lot of long runs, but I did do like I ran three hours off the bike one day. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I wasn't putting in like crazy 25 mile runs at all. I didn't well, do... you pr- your body probably would have broken down. Yeah, too. totally. Yeah, because that, that's me. I mean, I, I feel like, well, before I hurt my neck, which is another story, but you know, I could feel like I could swim forever. Potentially mm-hmm. ride forever, but you want me to run forever. I'm not yeah. your girl. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my body is just not made to do it. It just doesn't do it. So I've never run long. I've never done So how running. did it translate on race, um, on day one, say, for example? You, like so day running. one was awesome. I had a great swim. I came out of the water in 103. I mean, it was great. Wow. I was like, this is awesome. So I get on the bike, and I'm 46 miles in, and I cracked um, a carbon rim, uh, the, one of the zip wheels. 
So day one did not go as planned because I ended up spending um, over an hour off the bike. So we had options for our flights that evening and the race director had asked us like, what's your estimated finish time? She said, you know, do you want to do a 14 hour day and catch this flight? Or do you want to do a 15 hour day and catch this flight? Well, I had planned to do about 15 hours a day, so I didn't want to push it. So I was like, oh yeah, I mean, definitely the 15 hour day and I want to catch that flight. I'm not trying to race, you know, um, with the hour off the bike, I ended up finishing in 1503 and literally had to like change in the car on the way to the airport and had to run to catch a flight. It was crazy. So when you finished day one, were you pumped and you thought this is going to be awesome or were you regretful? (laughs) You know, I was, I was happy that I finished. I couldn't believe that in 10 years of racing, I have only flatted like one time. I almost never flat. So to have like a situation where you crack a wheel, like that's just crazy. That That's never happened to me. So I was kind of freaking out about that Yeah. Um, because we didn't have an extra set of wheels. We ended up having to borrow another racer's wheels. Okay. Um, so yeah, I was excited about the next day. I was like, okay, well my first day didn't go very good. So my second day is going to be way better. Like there's, you know, everything's going to be perfect the second day. Yeah. And, and of course it wasn't. So what happened on day two? Um, I ran over glass and just kept flatting and then it was, and then it was even more time off the bike. So did you throw a temper tantrum? I didn't because my goal was not to complain. Whoa. That was my goal. Like, like the whole that was, it was attitude of gratitude. I was like, don't let me complain. Like, do not let me complain. So that was the biggest thing for me was like, it's an opportunity to be here. I'm fortunate, um, that my body has, has held up through all the training and I'm so grateful to be here and to be able to do this that I'm not going to complain. That's really awesome. I mean, I'm all about the gratitude thing, but I mean, it's good going into it like that. Did you hold, did you stay true to it? I did. I did. I was stuck on the side of the road and there's a picture that's in my book and it says something about, well, if you're going to be stuck anywhere, at least you're stuck here because it's like the gorgeous ocean in the background. Right. Um, after I kept my bike computer running. So when I had all the issues in, in Oahu with the bike, after I had been off of it for 90 minutes and I looked at my bike computer and my average speed had dropped down to like 10 miles an hour, that was really hard to not be really pissed off. But I was like, this is still doable. You can still do right. this. Right. That's awesome. So how many flats did you have? <laughs> So I ended up having, um, gosh, I ended up having like three or four flats and then we didn't have, so we ran out of the tubes right. that we needed for the zip wheels and then it was just crazy. Like we just didn't have any of the stuff that we needed. Some guy that lived on the island left something in his mailbox and that's how we ended up getting Did stuff. you guys like tweet out in need of tubes? Like, Yeah, it was crazy. Like yeah, the resources there are just totally different. Right. Yeah. So you guys... Um, you have to have like a crew. Right. So that's what's really fascinating about this whole event too. It's not like you can just say, oh, I'm going to go do this. Like you have a van of people and mm-hmm. that are there to support you and to have your supplies, but also to keep you like safe, safe because yeah. it gets to be sort of sketchy, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's totally self-supported. There's no aid stations. There's nobody telling you return. There's no, the courses are not marked. There's no mm-hmm. arrows. There's no nothing. So there was volunteers that were out in, um, in a lot of the major intersections, but the roads aren't closed to traffic. I mean, you're just out there. So, I mean, you know, you're out there doing the biggest thing of your life and people just think you're just tooling around on a bike ride. Right. <laughs> Honking at you. Yeah. So does your van like follow you very slowly behind or what? Um, no, they wouldn't allow direct follow because they didn't want us to impede traffic. Okay. So, so there was they would no direct ahead. follow. They would just go ahead to the um, turns. 
and wait for you mm-hmm. to let you know where to turn. Yeah. So how much did you rely? I mean, day two, you were probably still kind of okay, right? Mentally and like. Yeah, I was still pretty. I was, you know, you get to the point where you're almost like laughing, like, is, is this really happening to me? <laughs> so day two, yeah, I was, I was still in a pretty good spot. Uh-huh. I was still in a pretty good spot. I had slept a couple hours on day one. I got an hour and a half of sleep a day two. I got a shower. I was good. An hour and, and a half of sleep. So I was good. I mean, I was like, day three is definitely going to be my day. So now I'm like, I know day three is going to be my day. So did you train for sleep deprivation? Um, I'm really fortunate that I don't sleep very much to begin with. Okay. And the closer I got to the race, I would go to sleep around 10 and I'd wake up every day at two, not on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, my body was just like unintentionally so full of energy. So I'm really fortunate that, um, sleep deprivation is something that's easier for me. Yeah. I feel that way too. I can go like five, six, seven days on mm-hmm. very limited sleep and then I can crash exactly. for a little bit and I'm okay. And I know we're supposed to try and sleep seven hours a night, but yeah. if I have something on my mind, yeah, it just exactly. doesn't happen. And you had something very big on your mind. I did. <laughs> so day three was going to be your day. Was it your day? Day three was totally going to be my day, except for we had been following a storm. So we'd been getting rained on. It had been really windy. So we went to land the plane um, in Molokai, and they were not able to land it because of the storm. So they turned us around and brought us back to Oahu, and we had to um, deboard the plane and hang out for a couple hours in the so airport. So you're just losing time. Yeah, exactly. So wait, what was your time on day two? With, with the bike mm, delay? And, or with the, an hour and a half off the bike. I'm not sure. It would have been, it was 16 something. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 16 something. And um, so Molokai was just, it was crazy because we ended up that, the, the waters in Molokai are really rough and there's, it's notorious for sharks. So we had planned on swimming in a pool. Um, but with the delay, we, it looked like we weren't going to be starting the race until like after 11. So the race director asked us if we could run from the airport, if we could run like the eight and a half miles from the airport to the pool and swim and then do the bike and then, and then run the rest afterwards. Oh my gosh. And it was, it was like mentally, you know, she came and asked me and I'm like, but I have my bathing suit on. Like I was ready. (laughs) I was ready. I'm like, now I have to change gears. Like you have to get your head ready for the fact that you're going to run. Right. Like I just wasn't ready for it. And I think that happened, I think it was Ironman New Orleans, like in 2011 or 2012, where they canceled the swim and then they declared it a duathlon and had people run two miles before. Oh, yeah. People were like, what? Yeah, yeah, like we're ready to swim. Or what are we doing? Or maybe we just get on the bike, but you yeah. want me to run first? I was so glad I wasn't racing. I wouldn't Totally. Yeah. That's hard because you have something in your head. And I mean, I just wasn't, it had just finished raining. It was so hot and so humid. I was not ready to run. But you did. But I did because I had to because I had to get to the pool. <laughs> okay, so you ran eight miles to the pool. Like, just that, you guys, alone. Like, let's discuss. She ran eight miles to the pool. <laughs> and then she swam. Yeah. This is day three of, I mean, it's just fascinating to me. So your swim in the pool, was that a nice break from the open water on day three? Or was it just monotonous and horrible? It seemed like we were there for a really long time. Like, I kept stopping. We had a lap counter, and I kept asking her, like, am I not done yet? Like, I, I felt like... You know, but when's the last time you swam like that continuous? I just felt like I should be done. I was, I had no concept of time. Like my brain was just getting fried. Yeah. I was like, how am I not done yet? Are you (laughs) sure you're counting right? She's like, yeah, I'm counting right. And so where were you when you asked, like what, how many meters in were you? I was only a thousand. Oh no. (laughs) That's the worst part. Oh, yeah. You're a quarter of the way there. I'm like, are you sure your math is right here? I don't think so. 
Okay, so you got out of the pool. And, like, what kind of transition times were you, like... Uh, my transitions were long. I mean, yeah. They were very long. I was getting into... I was showering. Um, I was getting into a full cycling kit. So, the first day, they weren't bad. I mean, they were, like, 10, 15 mm-hmm. minutes. By days four and five, they were upwards of 30 minutes. I mean, mm-hmm. I was, like, sitting down That's and eating... That's still not a, bad, though. I was, like, sitting down and eating a snack, like, a full sandwich and like yeah I'm impressed with 30 minutes though yeah because I just everything it was almost like I was moving in cotton like I just couldn't make my body move any faster I just would sit there (laughs) I'd be like looking at my socks and somebody be like you know you have to put those on so was that when day three like the mental fatigue really started yeah I was pretty good on the bike and then when I got to the run I just I, I fell apart I mean I just completely fell apart um I couldn't stay awake I was falling asleep all over the While you were running? Yeah, and I was trying to get my crew, we had a volunteer with us, and I was trying to get them to convince them that they should interlock arms with me, and and that I could sleep, and they could, and that we could (laughs) drag you. Yeah. They're like, we can't do this. (laughs) Jason's like, that's against USAT rules. (laughs) Yeah. So how was it having the boyfriend on the the journey with you? Like, did he become mud, or did you maintain, like, a sense of civility? You know, because we treat people we love the worst. And we do. We do. And he and I have a real special relationship, and we definitely talk to each other very, very differently. So it was um, really interesting because he's he's really hard on me, and that's what I want. Uh-huh. So I don't do well with people that are, like, coddling and real mm-hmm. sweet and accommodating. So, like, when in Kona, it was pouring rain on the run, and I wanted to change my shoes and socks. He's like, that's totally pointless. It's pouring rain you're just going to get everything wet again. Yeah. Like he's like, no, you can't change. And I kept, I kept asking him. He's like, no, no. Where somebody else might be like, sure, whatever you want. Yeah. No. And that's the same way my husband is. Like if he, I would be the worst with a coddler. Yeah. I mean, I was telling someone earlier today when I went, when I wrote my book in 2012, I'd asked my husband, can I take six months off of work to write this book? And he's like, no, you can work and you can write the book and you can figure out how to get it done. And I thought, gosh, what a jerk. Like, you know, but I look back on that and I think that's what I need. I need yeah. that kind of person who's like, yeah, go, like cracks the whip. <laughs> I'm the same way. And over the summer when I was training, um, we live not too far from Grant Park. So I had this plan that I was going to, the pool opens at 12 on the weekends. So I was going to run this, like the six miles to the pool and swim. And then I was going to run six miles home. Mm-hmm. Well, I wanted a towel because I couldn't, like, I couldn't fit a towel in my, in my pack. And I was like, can you just meet me down there with a towel? And he's like, no, <laughs> you're training for Epic Five. You can figure out how to get yourself dried off. <laughs> I'm like, what? I'm going to have no towel. Are you serious? He's like, yeah, you're training for, he's like, you're training for five Ironmans. You don't need a towel. That's funny. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So did you run in, you run in your swimsuit? No, I put a swimsuit in my camelback, like a camelback okay. pack and would run. And I would just lay my running clothes out to dry out. While okay. swimming. I've always wondered that, like, how people run to the pool and swim and swim, run back. That's not easy. <laughs> Especially not easy. with no towel. Yeah, with no towel. Shame. Shame. Okay, so where were we? You were trying to stay awake while running. Yep. The people would not drag you. They bad, wouldn't. Bad volunteers. Very so, bad. It so was... when, where were you when you started falling asleep? Like, what mile? Well, we only had to do, like, 17 only. point something only at that 17. point. Yeah, so... Um, it was probably in the last 10K I really fell apart and I was barely moving. I mean, barely moving. Um, really slow. Yeah. Really slow. What was really slow? Like, what pace? Um, like, were you walking? Oh, I was easily walking, but barely even walking. So I would keep, like, I would say, I, oh, I need to go to the bathroom, and then I would just fall asleep. Oh, my god. So they could, just kept having to wake me up. Okay, so how long did day three take? Day three was over 18 hours. 
So you then had what was the logistics? You had you so, got to go to sleep for an hour? <laughs> no, this is the this is the real kicker. So um, because we had gotten pushed back so far and we didn't start until after eleven, it was really really late when I finished. So. Jason said I had 30 minutes until we needed to get to the airport. So I got to either sleep, eat, um, or shower. He's like, so what do you want to do? And I was like, well, I guess I'm just going to get in the van and sleep. So I just crawled in the van. We never even made it inside the hotel. Oh, my gosh. So you slept for 30 minutes. And then I woke up at the airport. <laughs> and did you get to sleep on the plane? Um, no, it was because they're real short flights. Like, okay, it's not then, even yeah. enough time to really even fall asleep. Oh yeah, so I mean, it's only like a 25-minute flight. Okay, so you arrive in Island 4. So we got in Maui. Maui, mm-hmm. okay. And what time is it, and where do you go from there? It's early. So Maui was early, and now I'm really not in a good place. Like, I'm just... But you're I'm, still not complaining. I'm still not complaining. I'm just I'm just starting to get really tired. I'm really, <laughs> I'm really tired. And not only was I tired, I was really, really hungry, too, um, because our food... Um, situation just was not good like there's very limited resources in some Uh of these places and in Molokai there was like nothing it was just a tiny little puddle jumper airport so you were just eating like bars and you were done with it like just whatever I mean I ate spam a musabi spam roll that somebody gave me because I had no food oh my god it was bad I mean I would have eaten anything yeah, what about we one were, nugget from Chick Fil A? Yeah, and we were thirsty too because it was like you get to the airport and they would they would take all our water away from us. Oh right. right. And then I'm like, well, where do we get water from? Where's the water fountain? There, there was no water fountains. So you're so thirsty and you're so hungry and you're just sitting there. And people are like, you did this to yourself. We yeah. have no, we have no sympathy. Exactly. For okay. So day four, you had 30 minutes of sleep. You landed in Maui. Is it like off to the swim then? Like you it's, get there? And yep. You, completely just. Off to the swim. Get the rental van, and there we go. Okay, so not complaining still, but were you like, this is, I'm done? Like, this is stupid? No, I was convinced that, um, so I kept telling myself that the water was going to make me wake up, and I was going to feel really good, and I was going to be very refreshing because I hadn't showered. I was totally disgusting. I was like, just get in the ocean. It's going to feel so good. You know, you're going to... You're going to feel amazing. And we get there, and it, the storm had followed us. So now the storm was in Maui, and the water was really, really rough. And I wouldn't put my wetsuit on until somebody told us that we were actually swimming. Because in my head, the water was, like, probably 20 times worse than it really was. I was like, there's no way they're going to let us swim in that. And then, like, oh, yeah, you can swim in that. <laughs> so I got in the water, and it did make me feel better. I did. I got out, and I did feel refreshed. But the problem was that the winds were just horrible. It was awful winds. During the swim. Um, the the swim was really, really choppy, and the, the bike was bad. It was, it was really bad winds. Was this a climbing day? Was this a hilly yeah. terrain? Was it all hilly? Um, Kona was actually the easiest course. Oh, wow. So Kona <laughs> was the flattest out of all okay. of them. So, yeah, um, but Maui and Oahu had a lot of climbing. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that was a little bit better for the wind then. At least it was climbing and windy and exactly. not a flat. Yeah. Exactly. So Maui was the day where I had a complete breakdown on the bike and tried to quit. Okay. And what mile, how did that go? And what did Jason say? (laughs) I was like 20, I think I was at mile 26 and I looked down at my bike computer and I had gone, my average speed was 12.8 miles an hour. And I mean, I'm not a mathematician, but it didn't, 
didn't take long for me to figure out that if I had another day like I did in Molokai, that I wasn't going to be able to sweat to have any sleep that night. So I just pulled over on the side of the road and was crying hysterically. And I was like, I just, I can't do it. I can't do it. I was like, I have to go to sleep. I have to sleep. I'm not going to be able to sleep. I can't do this. I'm so, I was like, I'm just so tired. I'm so tired. Mm -hmm. I I was about to fall asleep just on the bike. At this point, you'd had two hours of sleep? Day four? So I'd had um, two and a half, three and a half. I'd had about four hours of sleep. (laughs) One hour a day. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what did you do? Did you sleep? No, I didn't sleep. So Jason, being the knight in shining armor that he is, told me that we would reevaluate at mile 50. And nice. he gave me a five-hour energy drink and just told me to be on my way. He was like, you are you can do it. You have to do it. He's like, just get back on your bike. The wind's going to die down. I promise. We had a local volunteer with us that knew the course. And he he was saying, like, she's going to, in five miles, she's going to make a turn. And it's, and it's going to be so much better. Okay. So he's like, you have to get back on the bike and we'll just reevaluate at mile 50. That's was, so funny. I was like, all right. And I got back on the bike and I started thinking about like the fact that I was going to quit at mile 50 and, right. I, and all of the things that I was going to tell people. And I started <laughs> going through my head. I was like, well, I'm just going to call my dad and I'm going to tell him I was tired. And then I'm like, that's the worst excuse ever. Like everybody's tired. Right. I can't believe you're going to tell somebody you're tired. And what was so insane was that I was ahead. The other two people were behind me. I'm like, you're not even doing that bad. Like, right. you can't quit now. That's so funny. I had that same similar experience at, you know, my single arm in Lake Placid. But I remember I was at mile 13 on the run, and I had blisters so bad on the bottom of my feet. And I was like, I'm quitting. And I thought to myself, well, what am I going to write on my blog that I quit because of blisters? Like, yeah. people mock me, you know, but it's very real. Yeah. You know, you're exactly. like, I'm going to die. Um, that's so funny. He said, we can reevaluate at mile 50. I do that same trick with my kids when they're like, I don't want to go to sleep. And I'm like, oh, I'll come check on you in 15 minutes. You know, it gives them that hope. <laughs> and then you just never come back. <laughs> yeah. And you just never come back. So at mile 50, when you decided that your story of being tired was not adequate what happened well it actually it only took me about 10 miles and then I got really mad at Jason and for and I was like why I was like don't ever let me talk about quitting again why would you let me talk about quitting so I started saying over and over again Danny Gray will be the first woman to finish epic five and I literally said it I started screaming it on the bike for three straight hours it's all I would repeat so they kept putting the window down thinking I was talking to them and I was that's, that's all I was saying. You're like, mind your own business. I'm yeah. Doing my- I'm good. I'm good. So the mental toughness, I mean, that's everything in ultra racing, right? Everything. Now. Everything. Yeah. Like, you can't let a single doubt creep in because it just, like, compounds on itself. Yeah. Yeah. One tiny little negative thing can just turn into something huge. And you knew that going in. I did. And that's my area of strength, for mm-hmm. sure. I mean, that's the one thing that I feel like sets me apart is I'm unbelievably stubborn and... um and yeah, my mental strength is, yeah. I mean, it's there. Like my mental game is good. Yeah. And I feel like I'm very similar in that regard too. Like a, a lot of people say, well, if you can do an Ironman, so can I. And I'm like, well, are you tough mentally? Cause if you're not like, it's hard to haul this body. Yeah. <laughs> like you got to be tough in the mind. Exactly. It's everything. And, and I think, you know, I won't quit to a fault. Right. Um, and, and I'm the same way. And that's what everybody was so worried about. They were like, don't let yourself get hurt. Because they know. You're like, well, if I get hurt, I'll get hurt. But Yeah. Yeah. Everybody's like, "You're be careful. Like, know when to stop. And I'm like, okay, sure. <laughs> when I'm done. And I'm the first <laughs> woman to finish exactly. a five. Exactly. So the, men- so the mantra and the repeating of the mental toughness got you 
It got me off through it. Bike. It got me off the bike. Yep. Okay, so then it was time to run. Were you were you awake this run? So it's time to run, and I'm I'm changing in the parking lot of a pier because it's I mean it's just so laid back, and then there's no there's no place to change or do anything. And I asked one of the volunteers, I was like, "Am I going to be able to sleep tonight?" And he goes, "If you have a run like you did yesterday, no." So instead of getting upset, I just kind of was like, "I'm not gonna no. I'm I'm gonna run." I'm not, I'm not going to have a night like I did last night. And I had a local volunteer with me. Her name is Jody. She's so awesome. She's in Boston a few times, Ironman Kona, Kona. She is fast. She is so fast. So she just kept telling me, she was like, you're faster than this. Like, you're not even working. Like, we can move. Like, why are we? No, we can move. Um, and the guy, Enrique, that had won the race every day, he passed me at like mile 16. And she was like, why are you going to let him pass you? And I'm like, oh, well, this isn't really a race. Like, it's not a, you know, it's like Epic Five Challenge. Like, it's not competitive. They're not posting results, you know. So we're not really competing here. She's like, oh, no, it's a race. <laughs> She's like, you know you can pass him, right? And I'm like, no, I don't think so. She's like, oh, yeah, you can. And she pushed me. I mean, she pushed me so hard. And we ended up passing him, and, and that was it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it was amazing. So the day that I wanted to quit, like the day that I was completely convinced, um, ended up being my best day. Like the strongest finish that I had was the day that I wanted to quit. I find that so true. I mean, I had it in weightlifting. I've had it in triathlon. Those days when you don't want to train, those days you think you can't possibly race, those end up being either the character building or the best days ever. Exactly. Like It's just, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, Okay, so day four was your best day. So day four was my best day and it was awesome. I got to sleep for an hour. I got to take a shower. It was incredible. Okay. It was so awesome. So day five. So day five was really just a, like a party. Was we it? Were, we were the, yeah. Everybody's attitude was totally different. Like you could just tell we were all in such, you know, such a good mood, even though the storm had continued to follow us. So the weather was really bad. Um, but day five just felt like a complete party. It was awesome. It was the um, it was the easiest bike course, so that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, because in my head, kind of, I psyched myself up, um, but I didn't realize that it was going to be that flat compared yeah. to the rest of them. So it felt like it was the easiest course, and it was really scenic, and it was cool to be on the Ironman World Championship course. I mean, we did the Ironman World Championship swim, mm-hmm. um, and. It, you know, it was just amazing to kind of be out there. And then on the run, that was the day that um, I really just started all the sleep deprivation caught up with me at the very end, like all of it. And yeah. I just was hallucinating seeing animals and people and stuff coming everywhere. And I was convinced that my feet were broken and my legs were broken. And Jason was like, that doesn't even make sense. You can't walk on your feet if they're broken. Right. So then you just start talking nonsense. So it was just like hours of just nonsense. <laughs> Do you remember some of the things you were saying? Like you had a fever, like when you have the flu. And yeah. Like, I remember talking well, about I remember, I remember him telling me, I remember I kept telling them that I was hungry and I kept wanting to eat. So he was convinced that I was just trying, like a kid, like I kept <laughs> saying I was hungry when I really wasn't because I wanted to stop. Uh-huh. Because every time I would say I was hungry, I would go up to the van and, and start looking for food. So he kept telling the van, keep going further up the road. Like he's don't tough. I know. He's like he's like, You're not hungry, you just date. And I'd be like, I am too hungry. <laughs> yeah. 
He's really tough, though, but he'd been through it, right? I mean, doing a tri- well, not exactly, but doing a triple, yeah. he knew, like, what it took, right? He knew, and he knew he knew me. Like, he knew me well enough to know, like, when I was just trying to stall and when I was, like, <laughs> actually hungry. He's like, there's no way you're hungry. You just ate. I'm like, I didn't like that. That wasn't good. He's like, it doesn't matter. You still ate it. I didn't like that. That's awesome. So, when you finished, I mean, how – then you're just high, right? I mean, you're, like, on a high yeah, and you can't was- – it was awesome. So my mom had flown down because it was Mother's Day weekend. So my mom and my younger brother were there. And my brother is completely uninterested in triathlon. He could care less. Um, he didn't even come to the finish because <laughs> uh, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. And when I texted him about it, he was like, oh, I, I thought thought you were going to finish at a reasonable time. So <laughs> he's like, maybe if you could have finished at 7, I would have been there. I was like, wow, thanks. <laughs> So the finish was really, um, it was pretty anticlimactic. It was at, back at the pier where they start the, the swim for um, Kona, but it was literally just like a van in the volunteers. There was like no banner. There's no mat. I mean, there's a guy taking pictures and some volunteers and my mom was there in her pajamas crying and that's it. Like, yeah, there's no fanfare. There's no nothing. It was just super low key. That's so cool. Yeah. So cool. So I remember when we talked a couple of months ago, or maybe it's been a year, when you started writing writing your book mm-hmm. and you said, I want to write a book because I want little girls to realize that they can do yeah. anything they set their mind to. And yeah. I know after what you said at the beginning of this interview, why that's so near and dear to you. Mm-hmm. Because as a little girl, you felt just kind of lost, right? Yeah. Just not knowing what to do. So tell me what what the goal is with this book and who do you want to read it? So, I mean, I think, like I mentioned earlier, um, I would consider myself to be a pretty average athlete in terms of, you know, my dad made a comment once, why don't you try out for the Olympics? And I'm like, I don't think you understand this sport. <laughs> so I'm not, I mean, I didn't play sports at that level. I'm, I'm a pretty average person when it comes to, you know, what, what my performances look like. Um, it's just, I want people to understand that you can do, I mean, you can do stuff like this. Like you don't have to have run in college or swim in college. I mean, there's people that go out and swim in English channel and didn't learn how to swim until they were 30. Right. It's just about what you are willing to, to put into it. And, um, you know, for women, it, it, women in ultra, ultra sports were not represented nearly as much as men. I mean, if you go to an ultra cycling race, um, there's, two to three women for every 40 to 50 men mm-hmm. um, because we just we just get a really it's it's harder for women to put the training in right um, but doesn't evidence isn't there research that shows that women are actually better yeah ultra I mean, racers we're amazing we do so when I did the double Ironman I was fourth overall I was the second woman in fourth overall the second place finisher was um, was a woman or the third place finisher was a woman mm-hmm. so out of the top five, um, three out of the top five are women. So yeah, we do really good. Yeah, we do good. I mean, we're, um, I think that when you, when you get into these situations where you have these long distances, women tend to pace ourselves. We're just, we race smarter than men do. Mm-hmm. So it's what we're made for. Yeah. Yep. Cool. So the purpose for the book was just to kind of, you know, put my story out there and show people, um, you know, people that get into ultra racing and ultra cycling and ultra running, um, a lot of us have um, backgrounds that are similar to everyday people that are training for their first sprint. Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't just wake up and decide to run 100 miles one day. Yeah. Um, but we're, we're pretty average people. Right. So you have the same 24 hours 
That everyone does. I do. What do you do in your 24 hours that sets you up for success in this type of racing? So time management is huge. Time management is really important. And um, so I don't watch television. And when I was training for RAM, it was funny because I worked in a retirement home and people would always ask me if I watched something on television. And I used to say to them, you know, you guys sit around and you talk a lot about your regrets and you regret that you didn't do this and you regret regret that you didn't do that. You wish you would have traveled more. And I was like, you know, if I sit around one day, the only thing I'm going to regret is that I missed, you know, the season finale of Scrubs or something like that. Like, that's all I'm going to say, you know, yeah. something like that. So, I mean, my 24 hours, I, I think about my time and I think about who I want to spend my time with mm-hmm. and whether they bring value to my life. And I just don't waste time on people that, you know, kind of drag me down or on stuff that drags me down. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, time management is totally everything. And I think one of my biggest pet peeves is, is the whole busy culture. Mm-hmm. You know, we're also, oh, I'm too busy for that. Oh, I don't have time. And it's all obviously a matter of priorities. Exactly. But trying to out-busy each other drives me insane. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just a matter of how you want to manage your day, right? Exactly. And yep. what's important to you. Yeah, and you do. I mean, you make a lot of sacrifices. There's a lot of times when I've gotten up between 4 and 4.30 and people are like, well, I don't have time to do that. And it's not that you don't have time. It's just that you're not willing to make the same sacrifice as I did. Right. And that's okay. I mean, we don't all have to set the alarm for 4 o'clock in the morning. But you can't expect your outcome to be the same. Yeah. And that's got to drive you insane. Yeah. Like when people... I mean, everybody wants the finish line. Everybody wants the finisher's medal. But not everybody wants to put the same amount of work in. No. And, and I, I get that too. I mean, just from my single Ironmans, like... <laughs> I'm like, do you know how much it takes to do this? Like, yeah. it, it really, it does. And especially someone with no talent like me, you know, it's it's a lot. And mm-hmm. I'm willing to do it, and I've been willing to do it. But I think there's a rush to want the finish line, like you said. Yep. People just go sign up, and then it, they don't realize the effort that it takes in 24 hours. Exactly. And that's part of what makes the journey, like when I, even to make it to the start line of something like Epic Five, like all of those hours and hours of training every single week, like that in itself was yeah. unbelievable. I seem to remember you, what did you train for five months? Cause I remember like in January-ish you announced it, right? On Instagram or? Mm, I got in, so I knew the summer before I was doing it. So oh, I okay. got in around July. Yeah. Around July and the race would have been the next May. Okay. Yeah. So, but what did you start training then? I did, but not the really heavy stuff. It would have kicked up about five or six months okay. before that. Yeah. yeah. You're awesome, Danny. Well, thank, thank you. you so much for being a part. So we can find your website at dannygrable.com, D-A-N-I, Grable, G-R-A-B-O-L.com. And her book, again, is Fear No Distance. And where can they get the book? So you can get the book on my website. If you order it on my website, it'll come autographed. And if you uh, order it on Amazon, it'll get to you just the same, but without an autograph. <laughs> well, you need the autograph. I and know. will you write things in it? Is there a oh, yeah, 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 totally. Put on the comment section. I'll, I'll do everything except for I can't draw. <laughs> <laughs> and it's PG, right? So that's this is meant for, is it a PG book for like? Yeah, it is. I mean, and- I was raised by a Marine, so there is a couple, <laughs> couple, um, couple choice words in there but it's but it yeah I've had an 11 year old that read it so we're good very cool well thank you for coming on to the show Danny and well one more question what's next what are you doing oh gosh so what's everybody keeps asking that so 
Um, Jason is doing a 200-mile trail run around the circumference of Lake Tahoe. Oh He's God. doing the Tahoe 200. So I'm going to go crew for that and run. Um, this is kind of my fun year. So I'm doing a lot of um, local races, Olympics, sprints in Ironman Chattanooga. Okay. And then I think I want to do a really long-distance swim. Like I really, yeah, like English Channel something. Oh, you're so yeah. cool. So like maybe next year? Maybe. Okay. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. Very cool. All right, Danny. Well, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.